Okay, if you've got your outlines, I'd highly encourage you to take them out because we're going to cover something which is going to be useful for you and probably somebody you know. So when you think about that person as we're going along today that you know that could use this message. We're in part seven of a series called The Good News About Grace. Now I want to say this. If you listen carefully to this, your relationship with Jesus Christ is just like any other relationship in that you are either A, getting closer to the Lord or you are drifting away from the Lord. Either your heart is growing warmer towards God and His purposes and His kingdom and His objectives on this earth or it's growing colder and more distant. The point is you never stand still. You never stand still in your marriage. You're either moving towards a closeness or you're actually, there's distance in that relationship. You don't, what I'm saying as a Christian, you don't just become a Christian and that's it. Now you may know and you may just want to reflect for just a brief second on folks that you may have come across who once were burning hot for God and now where are they? Know anybody like that? Doesn't have to mention any names, but just think about those thoughts there for a moment. Maybe they've fallen away. But today they know where to be found. And by the way, we all know those struggles in our own hearts. We all, every one of us in this room faces temptation, yeah? Every one of us faces discouragement or disappointment or disillusionment. We all face that. And as we're gonna see this morning, when we blow it, when we walk away and when we stumble, there's an aspect of grace which is absolutely jaw-dropping that we're gonna look at this morning. And it's called, that God offers to you and I, called restoring grace. When we pray the prayer that was prayed in Lamentations chapter five, first verse on your outline, verse 21, when we pray this prayer, Lord, restore us, O Lord, and bring back Bring us back to you again and give us back the joys that we once had. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. How do you get the joy, that sparkling wonderment of joy back into your life? You may have been a believer for years. And maybe it's possible that you or somebody else you know has gone a little stale. And maybe you're just not as close to the Lord as you know that you once were. How do you get the joy back? Well, first, I want to identify four common causes straight from the Bible of why people fall away from the Lord. And we're going to look at an absolute classic example of that this morning. And you get another story. I'm going to pick it up. Why do people backslide? Four Reasons why people fall away from the Lord. And if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up to Mark chapter 14, because that's where we're going to be mainly spending our time in. And it's a story of a well known young man called Peter, one of the disciples. And we're going to see what happens with his denial of Jesus on the very night. He was betrayed. The night he wanted him to be with him, to be close to him, to support him, Peter absolutely blows it. And you know the story. Jesus was in the upper room. 
knowing full well because he was God, he knew what was going to happen ahead of time. And he's there with 12 disciples and they're celebrating the Passover supper, which was eventually that night to be changed into something that we know as the Lord's Supper or communion. Then in the middle of all of this, this at night, he says something that shocks everybody in that room. And he says this, one of you guys is gonna betray me. Now that's, a bomb that you just dropped. One of you. And they go, is it me? Maybe it's him or her. Oh, no, her isn't it, but you know, him or him or him or him. And they all begin to say that. But Peter, in his normal, braggadacious way, says something of note. He says this. Well, everybody else may stumble in their faith, but I will not. You can almost hear the swagger in his voice. Every other peon around here may flake out Jesus, but I'm not going to do that. Not me. I would never deny you. So this is one of the first people, reasons why people backslide. You know what it is? Overconfidence. We begin to think I can handle everything by myself. I'm so strong, I would never fall. That would never happen to me. Let me just say something. Given the wrong situation, every one of us in this room is capable of sin. The Bible says the heart, why is that? Because the Bible says that the heart is deceitful. It's deceitful. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, if you think you are strong, be careful because you can fall. It says here, let him who standeth take heed lest he falls. That's what the Bible says. And Proverbs 16, 8 says something similar. And it goes along with this theme. Proverbs 16, 18 says, a proud attitude leads to ruin. Specifically, it says, pride goes before destruction and the haughty spirit before a fall. Now, the way you spell ego, E dot G dot O, stands for edging God out. When I get overconfident, I let ego into my life and I start to edge God out because why? I don't need God because I am all as that is needed. And my ego is getting in the way. And when I do that, I'm already starting to step away and slide away, and I'm heading down a slippery slope. Second cause of falling away is flat out laziness. The Bible's real clear about this one. And we see this too in Peter's denial. We get lethargic, and we kind of slack off. All these good habits that we used to do, like praying with passion daily, and reading the Bible, and being in a small group, well, maybe I don't have time for that anymore. And when you do, it ought to be a warning light. Something's up. In this next scene, we see this happening to Peter. Jesus takes Peter, James and John and he takes them into the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, hey, this is my tough night. It's gonna happen tonight. I want you guys to hang with me. Because the next day he knew he was going to be crucified. 
I want you to hang with me and I want you to pray with me. So Jesus goes a little bit further beyond where the group were at night in the Garden of Gethsemane and He prays a little. And He comes back and what does He find? They've nodded off. Clearly, they weren't grasping the gravity of the situation. Jesus says in verse 37, couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? I mean, this is the point of need. This is not a lackadaisical moment. This is, there's a big transaction going down here and you guys are nodding on the job. Second time, he says, well, stay there, pray. Goes away a little bit, comes back, same deal. Overcome by snoozing, snooziness, that's a new word. (laughs) You won't find that in your dictionary. And the third time he says to him, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? There's a time to rest, but there's a time to work and to get after it and to be alert and vigilant and plugged in and ready for action. Jesus had given them command. They were napping on the job. Has Jesus given you instructions? Are you about His instructions or are you napping on the job? Are you taking your rest? The principle is here too, by the way. There's a very important principle. When you get tired, it's very easy to do the wrong thing. When you get tired. Doing the right thing takes energy. It takes stamina. And when you're tired, that, friends, is when you are most vulnerable. I've talked to a lot of people over the years who stumbled in major ways. And I've often noticed a pattern It's when they're under great stress. Could be at work, could be in the family, could be with their kids, who knows? It could be a combination of all of those. And they're very tired and they ignore the warning lights. They didn't know when to take some time off. They didn't know when it was time to double up their effort in prayer and push through. They didn't know it was, they kind of sensed it, but they didn't follow through with, they knew that the Spirit of God was convicting them, get back to my word. And they kind of sort of brushed it off. See, fatigue lowers your defences and makes you vulnerable. Matthew 26, 41 says this, watch and pray so that you won't fall into temptation. To do those things is gonna be energised and up to work. So we've got to keep our guard up because when we start letting it down, we start in the slippery slope of sliding away. Now the third cause of falling away that we see in Peter's example is the fear of disapproval. You might find that at work or with your neighbours. We're worried about what other people will think. We're afraid of whether they will reject us or accept us. And this is exactly what happened to Peter. We can see this happening before our eyes. After Jesus was arrested, and he was taken to Caiaphas' place. In Mark 14, 54, the Bible records this. Peter followed him at a distance. Here's a picture. Jesus had been arrested and Peter decides he will follow, yeah, but a distance, just far enough back so that nobody will identify Peter with Jesus. It won't make the connection between Jesus and Peter. 
Now here's a good question. Do you ever try to follow Jesus at a distance? You know, I'm a follower, but let's not just get too excited about that. Because some of you might think I'm weird. Hmm. Like the statement, if all of a sudden they outlawed Christianity, (laughs) that may come. But if they did, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would your neighbour, let's, let's choose your neighbour who you've lived next door to for years. Would they actually know that you were a Christian? Or would it just be they know, well, you go somewhere, probably church on Sunday morning. They go somewhere Sunday morning, but they don't know why. Now, one of the signs that you know you're on a slippery slope sliding away from Christ is that you start to be ashamed of Him. And you want to kind of like keep your distance. Kind of in tow, but there's a long distance between them. And often you see that. I mean, sometimes small things, but I don't give a hoot. If I'm in a restaurant, we'll say grace. Because I'm not there to perform to you. I don't make a big show and I'm not just a man. We just quietly say thank you, Father, for our time together and this food. That's no big deal. But I'll tell you what. If you're afraid, you're not going to do that. When people even come over, guests come to our place, in Rome, you do as Romans. Romans, even if they're not Christians, we hands, hold hands and we say grace. What do people think is a predominant thought there? Proverbs 29 says this, be careful. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. Fearing people is a dangerous trap. When you start to worry about what other people think, you are absolutely heading for trouble. So Mark 8, 38 says this. If anybody, now this is Jesus speaking. Notice what he says here. This is a stunning verse. If anybody is, excuse me, anyone, is is ashamed of one, me. That's Jesus. If you're ashamed of me and my words, two, what he stands for what he said, what his principles are. If you're ashamed of me and my words, I will be ashamed of him before the holy angels and my Father in heaven. That's a good verse to go and meditate on a little bit. That'll get your focus right. That'll realign your head and your heart. So in spite of sinful, the sinful culture surrounding us, Jesus entreats us to stand up for our faith, not be intimidated by others, and let our convictions be clear. Not to compromise our convictions for fear of others. Let me say it another way. There are no secret agents in the kingdom of God. No closet Christians. And by the way, if you want an extra tweak on that, have a look this week in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. You might want to write that down. Revelation 21 and 8. Because it lists cowardice as an incredibly serious sin. Did you know that? That'll get some more focus on that whole sort of principle. Revelation 21.8. If you're worried about the disapproval of others, because Jesus said, you are on a slippery slope of falling away if you go down that way. Number four. The other reason why people fall away is this ubiquitous word these days called convenience. Convenience. You see, we want to have a faith, but we want to have a comfortable faith. 
We want our faith to fit our schedule. And sure, I want to take, uh, follow Christ as long as it doesn't cramp my style. That's what we say. Look at what happens to Peter. It says he followed him a distance. Then it says here, next, let's follow on. Then he says, he sat with the guards who were about to crucify him and warmed himself at the fire. So Jesus is about to be executed and Peter incognito is hanging with the men who are about to torture him and execute Christ. Hanging with the enemy, warming himself by the fire in the crowd. Sounds comfortable and convenient, huh? Sound familiar? Comfortable and convenient. Christianity is not convenient. You know, he's thinking, well, I just want to be one of the crowd. I want to keep a low profile. I want to be politically correct, not you know, upset the boat. He's effectively saying, and many people today say, I want to follow Christ when it's convenient for me. Now, if you try to enjoy the world's campfire, you are going to get burnt. Can I say, I can't say this any clearer. Once you become a Christian, you are not of this world. You're in a different culture with different values and different lifestyle. That's a whole other message. Now, I've watched a lot of people sidelined, people who are supposedly strong Christians, and today I can't see them anywhere. They've gone. Short-term, fair-weather Christians, followers, who walk with Christ as long as it's convenient. Didn't cost them too much of their convenience. If it does, oh, that's a bit hard. Now, you can read about that in the Bible too. In fact, sometimes when Jesus said some things, the Bible actually records his sayings were hard and many people walked away. That's what the Bible says. Short-term, fair-weather followers. Now, I've also noticed a pattern when people fall away from Christ. The first thing, they, there's a typical pattern that happens here. The first thing that typically happens is they stop their giving. First thing that goes. Their giving goes. No surprising because Jesus said, your giving indicates the condition of your heart. Remember, we even mentioned the widow and he got to the heart of the issue. It wasn't the amount, it was whether you were doing something according to where you were. That was the issue. And then he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's a great thermometer. And it's like an EKG. You can check it out. It'll give you an idea of how your heart's going. How's your giving? When giving stops, it says, I'm starting to slide back into the world's values and the world's ways. That's one thing I've noticed. The second thing that often stops, I've noticed universally, is prayer. Prayer calls off. Individual prayer, getting together with somebody else to pray, stops. And third, inevitably, after those things start, start, start cooling off, they stop attending anywhere. Now, what happens to a person who has committed their life to Christ, but for one reason or another, they have backslidden, fallen away, and they're not walking with the Lord anymore. What happens to a person like that? How does God respond to that type of person? When a Christian sins, often question, a young Christian will ask, does he lose his salvation? When a Christian sins, is it possible for him to go to hell? How does God respond is what we're gonna spend the rest of this message on. 
Well, let me say it in a simple way. He responds the same way he always responds to his children. And you're gonna see this. He responds with grace. I wanna circle back to a scripture that we looked at earlier on in the, in the series called, uh, from Romans 8, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse one. It says, there is no, 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 no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. You may wanna circle no. Now, this is not a promise for everyone saying that anyone can do whatever the heck they like and there's no condemnation, no. It says for those who are in Christ Jesus, if you're a genuine believer, you put your trust in Christ, you accept His grace and there is no condemnation for you. Notice it does not say there are no consequences. It says no condemnation. There are often lots of consequences. When I intentionally don't do what God wants me to, there are consequences. When I ignore His will, there are major consequences. Same thing for you too. Every time you disobey God, every time you ignore His will, you lose. I lose when I do that. You hurt yourself and you hurt other people. So when the Christian sins, what actually happens? Well, let me give you a couple of brief things before we dig into the last part here. You lose your fellowship with Christ. You lose your effectiveness in His plan because you, you, you run another plan. It's like, you know, you're supposed to be building this type of thing and you've got your own design, your own plan, doing your own thing there. Three, you, you will lose rewards in heaven. These are all biblically based. And four, you will also lose your joy here on earth. But you do not lose your salvation. Why? Because God doesn't just kick you out when you blow it. So you had your chance, you knew better, you blew it, you're out of the family. So question then is why doesn't God reject believers when we sin? Five reasons why He doesn't. This is what grace is all about. Number one, because His love is unconditional, it's one-sided. God doesn't say, I love you if you are perfect. I love you if you always, if you are, yeah, if you, if you never sin. He doesn't say that, I love you because He just says, I love you Period, period. Now, some of you need to write this down. God will never stop loving me because I'm a recipient of His grace. Lamentations 3.22 says this. This is a good verse to get your head around. God's compassion never ends. It's only His mercies that have kept us from complete destruction. That's Lamentations 3.22. God doesn't reject believers when we sin because His love is unconditional. Second, my salvation isn't based on my performance. God doesn't reject believers when they sin because my salvation isn't based on my performance. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, the Bible says, for He cannot deny Himself. You may want to look at that one. That's straight from the Scriptures. I haven't put that in your outline, but it's 2 Timothy 2.13. Listen to that again. If we are faithless, if we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. There it is again, 2 Timothy 2.13. And Romans 9.16 says, it does not depend upon man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. On God's mercy. So, 
If you don't get saved by grace and mercy, let me say it simply, you're not going to get saved. You don't get into heaven, if you don't get into heaven based on the grace of Jesus Christ, you're not going to get there because heaven is perfect and you and I are not. And Jesus perfects us. He's the only way to have that, what the Bible calls that robe of righteousness around us and it covers our sin. The Bible says in Titus 3, 5, He saved us not because of the good things we did, but because of His mercy. That's a great verse. Man, is that a good verse. So God doesn't reject the believer when they sin because His love is unconditional and my salvation is not based on my performance. Three, Jesus has already taken my punishment. God does not reject me when I sin because Jesus has taken my punishment already if I've accepted that as a believer. Now, we have some lawyers in the room and they would all know that New Zealand, like many countries, has double jeopardy laws. And the law of double jeopardy says you cannot be tried and convicted for the same crime twice. And that's true in God's book too. People are not punished for the same crime or the same sin twice. 2,000 years ago, why? Because Jesus stretched out His arms on that cross and He took the punishment for my sin and for yours. He took it all, He paid for the price, He took the, the death penalty for you because the Bible says the wage of sin is death and He paid it all in full and He died for you. What sins did He die for? All of them, Claire. The whole lot. That's why on the cross, the last words were, it is finished. Paid, bill paid in full. Now, if God's justice demanded you be punished also, that will be double jeopardy. It will be saying that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross wasn't good enough, but it was. So if you are a Christian and you receive the grace of God, God does not punish you when you sin. That punishment was already taken by Jesus on the cross. Hold it with me a second because I know what some of you are thinking. Stay there. I know what some of you are thinking because hang on, if Jesus had died on the cross and taken the punishment for all the things that I'm ever gonna do wrong, does that give me license to do whatever I want? Of course not. Does that give me the, the license to shack up with whoever I want? No. Cheating my taxes? No. If you act like that and you determine you in your heart to act like what I've just mentioned, you are probably not a genuine believer in Jesus Christ because no genuine believer would ever pervert the grace of God and abuse it in such a way. The classic verse of that, which is not in your outline, you may want to write it down, Romans 6, 1 through 2. NIV says this, this is Paul speaking. He says, what should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he goes, by no means. That's not the point of that. Romans 6, 1 is where that is. See, because grace changes the desire of the heart. The old law used to say, don't do that. Don't look at that. Whatever it may be. But when grace comes into your heart, it, ta- it changes the desire. I don't want to do that. I don't want to look or do or think or say those things anymore. It changes from the inside out, which is cool. When I really understand grace, I say, God, I am so thankful that you've done all this for me. I want to love you for the rest of my life and serve you and do whatever you want me to do. 
Because what is this? 80, 90 years in the span of eternity? Now, be careful here. Whilst God does not condemn you or punish you, you will be disciplined. What is that? Discipline is very different from punishment. Let me explain. Punishment is retribution for the past. That's punishment. Retribution for the past. Discipline is correction for the future. Different. Punishment is done in anger. That's not God. Discipline is done in love. Punishment is this is what you get for what you did. Discipline says, I want to train you and correct you so you're on the right path for your future. Very different. Now the Bible says, if you, can, if you continue to sin and you're not disciplined, it actually means you're not in God's family. For example, I don't go next door and discipline the kids next door because they're not my family. I discipline my own kids because they are my family. And one of the ways you know you're a Christian is you can't sin and keep getting away with it. God's Spirit will convict you. It will really convict you. And God brings discipline in your life to correct you. Notice what the Bible says here in 1 John 2, 2. When Jesus served as a sacrifice for our sins, He solved the sin problem for not only ours, but the whole world. He solved it right there. So God doesn't reject me when I sin because Jesus has already taken the punishment for my sin. Number four, because Jesus understands my human weakness. He's understanding, He's sympathetic. He knows my frailties. He knows my faults. But one of the most beautiful truths you can learn in a Christian life is this. God is patient with you. He's patient with you. Hebrews 4.15 says that. He understands our weaknesses. For He faced all the same temptations we did, yet He did not sin. So Jesus Christ experienced all of the temptation that known to man and he says, I understand them because I lived in the flesh for 33 years. So he's sympathetic. He knows what it's like to be tempted. But Jesus didn't sin because he chose God's will over the temptation. Lastly, number five. Because God does not hold grudges. Psalm 103 says this in the New Living Translation. God will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He has has not punished us for all our sins, nor does He deal with us as we deserve. He is like a father to His children, tender and compassionate to those who fear Him. Now, those who fear Him actually means, let me clarify that for some of you, that actually means respect and trust in Him. It means to those who are committed to Him, those who are in His family. That's the benefit of being a believer. If you're a believer, God is not angry with you. Why? Because all of the payments has been made on the cross. Now, some of you may think, well, hang on, you don't know. I've strayed way too far from God, either by one giant step, like giving up on my vow, I'm remaining faithful to my spouse or a whole series of small steps 
where you made Christian, your Christian com- uh, commitment one of convenience. God's words to you is this. Jeremiah three twenty two. Come back to me. Come back to me, you unfaithful children, and I will forgive you for being unfaithful. Come back. See, people are fickle, but God is faithful. You may be thinking you've gone so damn far that slope, there's no way back. Friend, you are dead wrong on that one. This is not a long, drawn out, complex process to get you back in fellowship with God. Now, many people do not understand the difference, it's an important one, between fellowship and relationship. Fellowship is your current status. Relationship is your permanent position. Let me say the game. Fellowship is your current status, whereas relationship is your permanent position. Here's, here's a question. Can I be at a fellowship with my wife and still be married to her? <laughs> What's the answer? Of course. Can a child be at a fellowship with his parents or her parents and yet still be their child? Of course. You may not just, the fellowship's broken, but the relationship, they are still your children. My wife is still my wife. And as much as you try to raise your children the right way, when they get older, they are going to make their own decisions when they get older, your children. Now, I hope, 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 this doesn't happen. But you might have a child who does the very thing you do not want them to do. That could happen. You might have a child that one day in a fit of rage and anger publicly disowns you. I hope it never happens. You may have a child one day and I hope it never happens that gets in such a mess that they don't even talk to you anymore. Now the fellowship will definitely be damaged. But nothing will ever change the fact that they're your child. Because they were born into your family and you cannot be unborn. So when you're a believer in Christ, you are born again into God's family. You cannot be unborn. And you're only a step away from returning. What should I do when I sin? One word, return. Come back to Christ. It's that simple. Jeremiah 15, 19 lays it out clearly. If you return to me, I will restore you so that you can continue to serve me. God says in Isaiah 1.18, no matter how deep the stain of your sins. It's like the stain in the carpet. Some of it's tough to get out. I can take it out, says God. And I can make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. That's in Isaiah 1.18, a beautiful verse. No matter what you've done, the Bible says in Isaiah 54, 7, with great compassion, I will take you back. Great compassion. So there's a happy ending of the story of Peter's denial. If ever there was a sin, you think that will be unforgivable. It will be denying the Lord flat out the top of your lungs and swearing at the end of it. I never knew him. At the very moment he needed to not desert his Lord and Saviour, he was betrayed by his closest, well, one of the closest three, 
But Jesus knew. He knew that Peter would deny him and he even knew he would come back to him. In fact, before it even happened, he said to Peter in the upper room, he said, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. But I have prayed for you. And when you return, strengthen the brothers. Amazing, eh? So he knew he would return. And the Bible says that Jesus prays for you. It says he's in heaven now. And the Bible says, in an old version that I used to read a lot of the time, he lives to make intercession for the saints. He's praying for you daily. Now, if you could lose your salvation, Jesus' prayers don't work. That's impossible because he prays for you every day to the Father. Now, Jesus said this, I know you're gonna fall away, Peter, but when you come back, strengthen the brothers. And did you know he surely did that? Because first of all, he wrote two books personally of the Bible. What are they called? First and Second Peter. And then he sat down and shared his memoirs with Paul's relative, who was called John Mark. And there we have the book of Mark. So he actually helped author three of the books of the Bible. And finally, there are two poignant incidences in Peter's life that happened after his denial. The Bible tells us this in the book, um, in the book of Mark, chapter 16 and verse 7. It was Easter morning, was the last scene, when the three women raced off to see the tomb. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of, G, uh, of, of um, James and Salome. Three women. I love that. I love that. They were the ones that are out of bed like a jackrabbit. Straight down the tomb, what's going on here? Because we remember what he said. Boom! And what do they see? A stone all the way, an angel sitting there, and the angel said he's not, he was in heaven. Then what did the angel say? Notice, one, go tell the disciples and Peter. Notice he singled him out. Go tell the disciples and Peter. It's special to me that he mentioned Peter especially. To show that in spite of Peter's denials, at the top of his lungs, Jesus had not deserted him. That is wonderful hope. Wonderful hope. Jesus knew Peter that was, he was devastated by his denial. He was humiliated, ashamed and depressed. And he thought he could never face Jesus Christ again for what he'd done. But he threw, Jesus threw in personal recognition, go tell his disciples and Peter. It was as if he was saying, it's okay, Peter. I forgive you. I love you. That is the grace of Jesus Christ. Totally unmerited. It's okay. I haven't stopped loving you. Later in John 21, one of the many instances where Jesus appeared to many people after his resurrection, he's on the coast of the lake and Peter and the fishermen are out fishing. And he calls, hey, Jesus calls, have you got any fish? No. Well, cast it on the other side, right inside, and, and you'll find plenty there. There's a whole other story that goes into that, which is absolutely stunning. We haven't got time to do that. But Peter, no matter what, recognises it's the Lord. He just dives in the water, swims up to the shore, and his first personal encounter since his last denial. This is the first time it happens. So here they are. 
Peter is so keen, he leaps in the water, tough like a man, and he swims like mad, gets there. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> and Peter says, Lord, I love you. You know. And then the second time, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you really love me? And Peter said the second time, Lord, you know I love you. And the third time, he says, Peter, do you really love him? Peter said, Lord, I really love you. What's going on there? Well, Jesus is giving Peter the opportunity for three times to affirm what he had denied three times. That is the grace of God. Now, you may think today that God may have forgotten you, but he hasn't. You see, the good shepherd goes away and he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He knows how you've fallen away. If you've either taken one giant step off a cliff, some big humongous sin, or it's just a series of small steps that you've just slipping away and you can sense that sense of joy and you're not as close to Christ as you used to be. You need to pray, doesn't matter which one you are or somewhere in between, the prayer that David led us in. And it's found in Psalm 51. And he prayed it immediately after he was sprung for committing adultery. He said this, Restore to me again the joy of your salvation. Notice though in that verse, he did not have to pray, God restore to me my salvation. He hadn't lost that. He'd lost the joy of it. And some of you have too. Why don't you come and take this moment as Kevin just comes and plays and I pray. As a time of personal evaluation, would you bow your heads with me and pray? I'd like to close and by asking just a few questions. And my heart's prayer is that you would let the Holy Spirit direct your thinking on these. Was there ever a time that you were closer to Christ than you are right now? If so, what happened? What's gotten in the way? A career? A relationship? A hobby that's become disproportionately large footprint in your life? TV? Has your relationship to Christ gone stale? Are you just going through the motions? Has duty replaced delight? Here's a big one. Have you stopped caring about the salvation of people around you? When was the last time you shared a positive word about Christ with a seeker? Have you been ashamed of your relationship with Jesus? What is it that you know God wants you to do that you've been putting off and procrastinating and find every excuse not to do? Is it being baptised? 
Is it joining the church family here at New Hope? What is it that you used to do but you've slacked often? Reading your Bible? Giving? Maybe you've committed something that you think, I'm so ashamed. I'm afraid to come back. But friends, Jesus says to you today, it's only one step back. And as your pastor, I want to pray for you. My Father and my God, I know that there are people here today who have been fighting a civil war in their minds. They know the right thing to do, but they've been fighting it. Someone wanted to do the convenient thing or the popular thing or the easy thing. And they've lost their spark and they're ashamed. There are others that are here today that are filled with deep regret for things that they've done. And they've been following you at a distance because they've been afraid to return to you. Would you today, by the power of your Spirit, Help them to experience the freedom of your restoring grace into their life. Why don't you pray in your mind and say something like, Jesus, you know I've wandered away. My heart is not as on fire as it was before. My level of love and my commitment to you is not like it used to be. but I do want to thank you for your unconditional love and that you've never stopped loving me. I really want to thank you that my salvation is not based on my performance. And Jesus, it's almost unbelievable, but I thank you for taking all the punishment for my sins. And I thank you, Jesus, that you understand and you sympathise and empathise with my human frailties. And I want to thank you that you do not hold grudges and that you're not angry with me, but by grace, I ask that you take me back today. I come to you with open arms, to your loving arms, and I I want to fall into your grace. I want to come back to you today. And so if you've never accepted Jesus Christ in your life, today I'd say to you, you really need the grace of God. You need to accept it today. And why don't you just say to him, Jesus, I don't understand it all right now, but I accept what you did for me. That Lord, your forgiveness and your grace, and I want to be part of your family. I want to follow you and I want to receive your forgiveness for my sin. I pray this in the powerful and potent name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, our King. And everybody said, Amen. I would highly encourage you today, as some of you felt the Holy Spirit pressing on your heart to follow where He leads and ask Him, to guide you as He is your counsellor when you walk out of here today 
and to keep that sense of purpose that you now feel throughout this work because He's there with you. He lives within you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. May you run strong. Father, bless these people. May your Spirit empower them to run straight, undistracted and strong that they may receive the prize and cross the finish line strong. I pray this by the empowering of your Spirit and the precious name of your Son.